But I just felt focused on what God is doing here uh, in Pennsylvania. That will affect the nation and things. You know, sometimes God shows you things that aren't yet apparent or obvious. So if you're just getting your information from, um, you know, the news or something, you might not know of it. I just sensed a real uh, spiritual turning in Pennsylvania and, it, and it, that it's catalytic. It's the keystone state. There's a catalytic, you know, there's something catalytic that God is doing now in this world. You know, there's, it doesn't matter what people plan. It's what God plans that matters. You know, Psalm 2 tells us that the rulers of the earth are always plotting against the Lord. They don't want any restraints. They want to be God. But God's laughing at him because he's got a plan you are my son, today I've begotten you. And so Jesus and everyone who is born again in him is part of that plan to, uh, to fill the earth with his glory. So Father, thank you for what you're doing in our day, what the significance of this time. Thank you for these children who were dedicated today in both services that they have great futures and significant assignments. Father, we just thank you and we, we just give ourselves to picking up our crosses daily and following Jesus. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill, fill us with a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better, that we're not only being fed by what we see with our eyes, but we're being fed by what you reveal from your word and by your spirit. We ask you that we would know you better, that we would have wisdom how to apply what you show us. God, open up your word today, open up our hearts, transform us with an encounter in your presence with your love. Give us great burning love for you, God, in faith that cannot be extinguished. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, and as you know from the, um, if, if you were here for the pre-service video that Mike, um, Mike Humphrey, Pastor Mike uh, gave, in a couple weeks we have the first fruits offering, and so it's my privilege to speak this morning and next next week, and then the, the big days, February 13th. And it's kind of, a, it's a, it's, I want to talk a little bit about the history of it, because I realize many people are new. But, I, but really, this um, offering has, has become a story repeated hundreds of times in hundreds of life of breakthrough of grace and freedom in trusting him, and an increase of the grace of giving, and so many lives have been changed, healings have occurred, children have been conceived, real estate, you know, bought and sold, uh, you know, I, did I say pregnancies? Probably I did already. You know, scholarships, debts canceled, all of these things and so much more, and, uh, and it just got released through simple obedience and through great faith and love, and just... It's such an honor to talk about it. So um, it, it, the a title I have today is Grace and Freedom from Lack, which is one of the foundations uh, that we, we have when we give. I love um, the, the El Haj, uh, the El it's, what are the first names? Are you here? Yell your names out. I know, Travis and Lauren, that's it, Travis and Lauren. I get mixed up, you know, and I just use my age as an excuse, like, yeah, you know, this is my age, you can't remember anything, but <laughs> even if you can't when you're 12, you still can't when you're 71, you know, <laughs> so, but, so Travis and Lorna, you know, they talked about this, like hearing God, obeying God, and then the, the breakthrough. By the way, for anybody that didn't grow up in the church world, which I didn't, VBS means vacation Bible school, which is like you know, an outreach to children during the summer, and it's just great. So thank you for that. But I, you know, just what uh, Travis prayed at the end, that, that God would do it again, that there would be, that fear would never stop us from obeying God, and that fear would release God's ability to bless and his desire. So, so how did, you know, um, the first fruits offering absolutely changed not only the world of hundreds of people here, but it changed 
the world of Life Center as, you know, I guess you call it an institution, you know, community of faith, what we're able to do. And, and through your lives and through our collective life together, it has been significant in changing the world out, you know, to the ends of the earth through increased mission outreach, through increased giving to the poor, through projects we were able to do, through, um, you know, things like this balcony and things like the children's wings and other projects that we've been able to do and increase support to all kinds of of outreaches, uh, even within the United States, outreaches to the poor that are being multiplied, not only throughout the United States, but in other countries as well. And it's just stunning. And when we look back and see, you know, and we're all, we all play a little part in a great story, you know, and so, but our little parts are crucial for the great story to unfold. And uh, so, I, the birth of this was probably around the year 2007, and God had done so much. I mean, he, it's funny, I was watching Sammy Rodriguez on the screen, and I thought, man, I love him, you know? And if, you know, if, I, if I was a young Christian, I'd say, I want to go to a preaching school, I would have the Sammy Rodriguez School of Preaching. But, and, but he's a Pennsylvania boy, grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and he's been out in Sacramento, California for a while and doing stuff all around the nation. But, um, and I was thinking like, hey, you know, I, you know, I was of Northern California. Ann and I came from Northern California to Pennsylvania in 1987. And I thought, isn't it funny how God rearranges people and gets us in the right place? And there's no place I'd rather be. You know, there really isn't. I just, like I said, you know, I landed, I felt focused, I felt energized, I feel like, God, you're doing something so significant in this region, and not, I mean, not, the, not just me, I'm just part of it, but there's all, there's this life center, and there's amazing other great churches and ministries and businesses throughout the world that one of the things that's absolutely both growing in this time, but unique in this area, is the number of businesses that are totally dedicated to the purposes of God and the purposes of the gospel. And so that was what was thrilling about, for me, hearing Travis, uh, you know, just pray at the end for business owners, because it's like, whatever we're doing is ministry. Isn't that great? I mean, if you know Jesus and you're following him, you're in the ministry. And... Uh, so I'm glad to be here in Pennsylvania. All right, so how, how, did this, how did the first fruits come into our lives and how did it change the world? Well, when we first arrived in Pennsylvania, our, our first, you know, we didn't even know why we were here and after about a year of, of agony and suffering, we landed on 13th Street uh, and had fulfilled a prophecy and so amazing and and you know, came on the staff of what's now Word or what was Word Fellowship, what's now Life Center, and uh, and you know, it seemed like well, at least there's some reason we came here. And then the the founding pastor left suddenly, and the church was thrown into a crisis. And and I was praying and asking God, you know, one to to preserve people and that they wouldn't get stumbled and hurt. And secondly. You know, I volunteered. I said, God, I'll stay and help until they find a pastor. And, uh, and he spoke to me and said, I've set you here. I'm like, oh, what if I don't want to be set here? But anyway, that was a really significant term, which wasn't part of my normal language, but I recognized that it meant this is your assignment, son. And I'm like, oh. So, which is great because I always figured whatever can happen, nobody can upset you if God has set you. You know, it's like, like people might leave, they might hate you, they might say terrible things about you, but if God set you, you're still set. You know? it's like, and then when he unsets you, it's like, hooray, you know, it's on to the next adventure. But, so it's given us a lot of peace in that. But, so anyway, they're in the hood with, you know, cars getting broken into and, and you know, uh, just, it was crazy, you know, purses being snatched during services and kids running around the building that weren't supposed to be <laughs> It was wild, you know, and, and uh, that God showed up and we prayed and we worshiped and we were happy you know, even <laughs> in all that stuff. And, uh, 
and nobody paid much attention to us, but God sent prophets and prophets spoke words and we're actually living in the prophetic words that were spoken over us in that day, this building, this property, the whole thing and much, much more. But the, uh, and so when we came to this building, we knew it was an absolute miracle. We knew we didn't know what we were doing in terms of like, oh yeah, well, we got here because we were so smart. And we also knew that the finances that, that would sustain us on 13th Street were absolutely inadequate for this place. And God gave us just enough to get by. And, you know, we sweated through the first winter. We had an electric bill, I think, in February of 2001. Uh, of like fourteen or $16,000, and that was like, ah, you know, and we didn't even know. And the building was cold because the, the HVAC system had been sabotaged by unhappy employees who had left. And, uh, and so we had heating and air conditioning running at the same time during the middle of winter and just crazy stuff. So anyway, but we, we made it through that and God kept coming and brought more people. And so we always made it through. There were so many miracles of healing and breakthrough and deliverance and presence and, and you know, stuff, the city changed. But through all this, we always just had enough to pay our bills. And sometimes not enough to make our payroll, you know, but we always, we did manage to pay our bills. And so even in spite of like, everybody thought we were really smart because we had this great building, that we had tons of money because we had this great building. And the reality was we had just enough, you know, like, and so I think it may be in August of 2007. And actually, I mean, Anna and I, we had just come back from the call Nashville and, and you know, 60,000 people there to pray and intercede for the nation. Anna and I were honored to be on the stage and do part of that. And lots of people from Life Center came to that and other calls. And so all this is going on and, you know, Randy Clark and Heidi Baker and George Umbanoff and all these people had become significant parts of our lives, but we're still like barely getting by. Does this sound familiar? You know, anybody like you got great vision and it's like, oh, you know, it's called the life of faith. <laughs> and so, but, so I was praying and saying, God, you know, this is, you've done so much. I have nothing to complain about, but I do have this question like, you know, you're the God of abundance and where's the more than enough? Because it, how many know that if you want to go places and do things, you need money? Is that just, you know, money's good if you're going to use it for good things. In fact, I want to pray for people that you've got vision, you want to go places and you want to do things and you need provision and God is a God who provides. But in the midst of that, so I'm, I'm praying a prayer of complaint. You know, I'm worshiping and praying, but I'm still saying, God, where's the promises? And he spoke to me and said, why don't you take a first fruits offering? Some of you have heard this before, and so I don't want to bore you, but many are new. And, uh, and so I thought, why don't I take a first fruits offering? This is the question. And, you know, God already knows the answer. He just wants me to be aware that I'm ignorant and uh, need to learn something. So I thought, well, because I don't know what, what is, I've heard of that. I've read about it. I know there's a feast called the Feast of the First Fruits, but what does that mean? So I began to study and God unpacked this thing and I spent months and I was terrified and I thought, oh man, people think, oh, it's another scheme for the church to take money from the people. So, that, you know, all this stuff. And like, these are, are illegitimate fears, but that was my fear. And, and uh I, so basically, as I studied, I had to renew my mind, right? And even stuff I thought I knew, I had to learn it at a different level. And when, when that mind was renewed and when we did it, I mean, the first year, because I was so terrified people would think it was manipulation, I, I spoke on this for seven times, maybe six times in the seventh week was the first fruits offering. And, you know, and we thought, okay, the Sunday of the first fruits. And, you know, like my insecurity was like, I wonder if anybody will even come, you know, like they'll all say, hey, there's a good Sunday to skip. You know, like I didn't know what to expect. And we had people with baskets ready to receive it. We we're going to bless them. And we told them all this stuff. But when that Sunday came, it was the biggest Sunday that we had. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was just like, whoa, they're here and they're excited, you know. So they came and we prayed and blessed and prophesied that God would send rain in season and stuff like that. And lo and behold, over the next year, there were miracle after miracle after miracle in people's lives. And people were sending us their testimonies. And there were so many, and we'd share a few, and we videoed a few, and we'd have people get up and 
and share it because it was like, ah, you know, and I was as relieved as you could be, you know. It's kind of like, yes, God, you know. It's like, you did it. How many know if you obey God's word, he's faithful? I mean, he really is. And it reminded me, and I, I, you know, I already knew this. I knew, like, I'm supposed to be in Harrisburg. I'm supposed to, and I was here because of a word of the Lord that we heard in California, and we obeyed, even though we didn't know what it was getting us into. And I remember I was here, like, 1990, things were so bad. You know, I'm sitting in my corner office on 13th Street, and uh, and sometime, and Right in the middle of, of a time, and maybe it was a season of discouragement, I don't know. I'm generally happy, but lots of bad things would happen, you know, to challenge that. But, uh, and Dick Mills, uh, who was a, a dear friend for, for Ann and me and kind of a, a, a father in a way to us from the time we were young Christians and he had known us, he used to come to our church, our little church in the mountains in California every year. And, and so he called me. And I was, I was surprised, you know. He called me, and, and he called me Charlie. He said, Charlie, I got a word for you, you know. And he had this voice. He sounded like a 1957 used car salesman on a TV ad, how he talked. But just, uh, I, I got a word for you. What is it? He says, he says you're going to succeed in your mission. And he, he, he um, quoted Isaiah 48, 15. I have spoken I have called him, I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. So, Charlie, you're going to succeed in your mission. Now, another translation, English Standard says, I've spoken, I've called, I've brought him, and he will prosper in his way. NIV translation says, as succeed in the mission, uh, more literal translation, he'll prosper in his way. And the way is, Jesus is the way. Like, the way is whatever Jesus, who is the word of God, speaks to you as you Give yourself to that. You're actually entering into a communion with his divine nature. And from his great and precious promises, you will step into a supernatural living. Now, it might not seem supernatural. You'll still have, you know, a few aches and pains. And you might get headaches sometimes. And sometimes you might be challenged, like, how's this going to happen? Just read the Bible. It's so different from any other, quote, spiritual book in the world like it's full of people who had problems, did the wrong things, had imperfect faith, had imperfect love, and God showed up and rescued them over and over and over again. Thank you, Jesus, you know. Woo! And so, so I'm prospering in my way, but I'm still, you know, saying like, God, I only have a little bit of money. So I start renewing my mind. I don't want to be pressed into this world's mold. I want to be transformed by a renewal of my mind. Romans 12, 2, this is very important. So that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so as God renews our mind, he gets us in situations where it can actually, not only we test it, but it's also tested in us. And through that, it's almost like a process of like learning, sometimes through trial, sometimes through error, hopefully not too much error, but quite a few trials. By learning, we get to discern the will of God. It's good, and it's acceptable, and it's perfect. It's so big, you really can't miss it if you give yourself to follow God. And so this, this is what I had to do concerning first fruits. And I, and, and I knew God you know, was generous, and we had always, we had tried to be generous, and, and all this stuff, but I had, you know, basic stuff. Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's, like, yes, God, where is it? Anybody waiting? Okay, so we're gonna just pray that this is accelerated in your life. And so, but I, I fed myself on this. I fed myself, Psalm 1, blessed is the man. Ha, ashrei ha'ish. The, the, the man, one of the little boys was named Asher that was dedicated there. It was the middle name. It means happy, blessed. It's the beginning. It's the very first word of the biggest, longest book in the Bible. Ashrei Haish. Blessed is the man. It's how Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount. Happy, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so it's like, okay, God, this is your will. And actually, it, as we meditate on his word day and night, it transforms us. And verse three, Psalm one verse three says that we we become like trees planted by rivers of water, that we bear fruit in season, that our leaves don't wither, and whatever we do will prosper. 
Now, the amazing thing, you know, we're like trees. You know, trees are complex living systems that, that um, bridge heaven and earth. And angels, you know, of all creation, human beings uh, dwell in both heaven and earth. Angels live in heaven. They visit earth, but it's not their home. Animals live on earth. If there's dogs in heaven, we'll all find out after we die. But they live on earth and they don't live in heaven. Birds fly in the air, but that's still part of the earth. And then, then, but humans are, you know, physically, physiologically and stuff, we're mammals. We have four chambered hearts. We're, we're warm blooded, but you might not feel like it. We have hair, but you know, might be falling out, but you're still, we're, we're physiologically, we're animals, but we're not animals because we have spirits. We were created in the image and likeness of God. He breathed the breath of life into us. And although, you know, when we're not born again, that spirit part is dead. It's, not, it's like a dead battery. It's not working in, because of trespasses and sins. And then God comes and he gives us a new heart and a new nature. And now we're fully alive and our spirit is, is part of heaven. And we're citizens in heaven as we live on the earth. And we, you know, we're the image of God in the earth. That's the plan. So I know all this stuff, but you have to get it into my being. And so, uh, you know, I'm renewing my mind. Third John, verse two. This is New American Standard. Beloved, I pray that in all respects, not just some, but in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. So the renewing of the mind is part of the soul coming into prosperity. Soul literally means our personality, our psyche. It, you know, mind, will, and emotions. It's more than that. It's not just neat little compartments. But, but God wants, like, he wants a, a wholesome way of thinking, feeling, perceiving. How many, have you ever struggled with this? Like, you're in a bad mood, but you don't know it. Life is normal, but things are irritating. People are just being normal, but you think they're terrible. You get mad at everybody, and, and, and then later you have to apologize for being a jerk. Is that, am I the only person that this ever happened to? Why? Because my soul in that moment is not prospering. But the more time, you know, if I dwell in his word, I meditate in it day and night. I pray without ceasing. I, you know, I'm joyful always. I give thanks in all things. I'm doing the will of God. That by itself, simple obedience, is transforming to my soul. And so those times are more rare in between until you get old and senile. And then, which I haven't gotten there yet, but I have sort of the first part, but not the second part. And I'm believing, like, how many one have the spirit like that of Caleb and Moses, you know, that you're not, you're, Eye is not dimmed, your strength's not abated, you're not turning into an old codger or, or an old worrywart. God, just deliver us from excuses. Restore and renew our minds. Help us, Lord. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing, you know, uh, senility or any of those things. I know those are tragic and it's part of the brokenness of this world. God, how many believe God can heal people of senility? I don't, Jesus, you can do it. There's no limit. So part of renewing my mind was just realizing how good God is, how much he's given us. And a real key verse that is, I feel is key to renewing my mind is that we, that we don't just know Psalm 23, but that it's real to us. Like Psalm 23 is so familiar, when we read it, it just means what it means to us. Maybe when we were little kids, we learned it. Maybe when we were at somebody's funeral, we heard it, so we think that's what it means. But Psalm 23, one, starts out, I mean, first of all, it's a song of David. You know, Mizmor David. It's one of the songs he sang, and I think, I mean, I actually think it is a key to why David's life was so amazing that, I mean, he had a lot of problems, a lot of problems, but his legacy goes on and on and on, and we are recipients of it, and Jesus is sitting on the throne of his father, David, in heaven. That's a pretty big honor. So what, like, is there any key to David's life? Well, let's try Psalm 23, one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now what that means, see that slide up there? The Lord, Yahweh, created 
everything that is, everything visible and invisible. He, he's eternal. He doesn't need anything, but he loves us. So because he's shepherding your soul, that means whatever you need that exists in the universe can come to you. Not, you know, and I'm not saying this is not in any selfish way. He's the shepherd. He knows what you need. He knows when you're supposed to be here, when you're supposed to be there. But do you understand what that means? The Lord, Yahweh, Rai. This is my poor attempt at speaking Hebrew. Actually, you can put the Hebrew up there because that's kind of fun for anybody that can read it. Uh, there's probably five people in here who do, but, but Yahweh, Rai. The Lord is my shepherd. The, the shepherd part there is actually the verb in the Hebrew. And if you read it in the, the, the Greek translation 200 years BC that was translated in, in Alexandria, the Septuagint, it, it uses it as the verb. The, the, the Lord shepherds me. Isn't that great? Like he's not just the shepherd, but he's actively shepherding our lives. Does that give you peace? Now, but here, the, the result of that is that there is no lack. There is no lack, that you lack nothing, that you have everything you need. It, it's Yahweh Rahi Lo Eshar. And Lo Eshar means, Lo is the Hebrew word for no. So it just means no lack. But it's much more significant than that because he's introduced it by saying that Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, the, which is his personal covenant name. Elohim is his generic description. He's the absolute one. He's the eternal one. But he is covenantly committed that in your life, there, that lack does not exist. That, I mean, I'm, I'm stretching it. I'm being extreme. I'm just, big, but sometimes we need to be stretched and go, God, are we, are we really hundred percent, like, are we really laid down lovers? Are we really following the lamb? Or are we just sentimentalizing it with, with our own, you know, emotional devotion, which is very important, but not getting the benefits that there is no lack for anything you need? Okay, well... This took me a while, man, but I'm working on it. Lo Eshar. There's no lack. There's no lack. There's no lack. So every time you, you if you have a project that the Lord has given you, how many, have you ever heard this? It's a cliche. You know, there'll be provision for the vision. But where did the vision come from? The vision is the vision that the Lord gave you. And so I just want to break off of every person here that sense of like, well, that works for other people, but it doesn't work for me. And it may, it may be administrated differently in your life than it is in someone else's life. But in reality, anything that he's called you to, that he's brought you to, that he's spoken, you will prosper in that way. So Father, right now, we just break off this, this lack that has no right to exist in the life of your people who are devoted to you, who are given to your purposes, who have vision and purpose and desire for their lives, that there's no lack in their life, whether they've lost their jobs, whether they've lost all their friendship and their support system, that you're actually bringing them into a place of abundance because this is your nature, in Jesus' name. And that's basically the rest of, of the 23rd Psalm, which is why this just, I, this transforms my soul. So, you know, uh, he, he makes us lie down in green pasture. So as a shepherd, he invites us to receive from him, but then he takes us on a journey, and the journey starts with rest. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He settles us. He restores our soul, he, he, which is transformation. He leads us into paths of righteousness for his namesake. He, he, he sanctifies, he makes us holy in our behavior. He cleans up our lives, you know, and and. We begin to learn the significance of his name and that we're carrying his name and that his reputation. Isn't that amazing that he would put his reputation on us? Like this is, God has more faith than we do. You know, like he's given you his name. 
even when you're bad, he's given you your name. And you think like, now God hates me, God's gonna throw me away. I'm telling you, he can't and he won't. He's given you his name. You're, you're a straying child, a straying sheep. Okay, so, but anyway. And then he does something amazing because notice it said he, verse two, he, verse three, he, verse three. Then we get to four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which guaranteed it will happen in every life that follows Jesus, he says, come on, follow me. It's called the dark place. Oh, God, I think I'm gonna die. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. And that's exactly where we get delivered from fear. Now, I'm telling you, and I don't wanna pick on anybody, okay? Because I know different temperaments. Some people are, are just, like, they're more aware. And so they understand the risk factor. But that can translate into a life of worry and anxiety. And, G and Jesus says, don't, don't worry. And he says, don't be anxious. Three times in chapter six of Matthew, he says, don't worry, don't worry. How many think if he says that it's probably, we should follow it and not make excuses? So how do I get free from fear, even low-grade fear? How do I get free from fear? Now, some fear keeps you alive, right? Like if you're going 130 and you don't know what you're doing, you should be afraid that you're gonna die unless you slow down to a speed that you can handle and won't, you know, and you're not breaking 23 laws. Okay, so, but the fear no evil. But listen to this, I will fear no evil, why? For you are with me. Now see, he went from he in verses two and three to you. There in the dark place, you think like, man, now it's all over, everything's broken, everything's destroyed, I have nothing. He comes to you and he talks to you. And he says, I'm here, I like you, I've been through this. In fact, I went through this for you. And if you go through it with me, you actually won't die. It's just the valley of the shadow of death. For you are with me, and that's where we learn his authority and his guidance, and they comfort us. They make us strong. They, make, they, they quiet us down. They deliver us from panic, and they make us strong. And this is his invitation to partner with him. And Paul talks about it, the fellowship of his suffering. You go, I don't want no fellowship of suffering. <laughs> I just want the power of your resurrection. Well, guess how he got to the power of his resurrection? <laughs> he died for you, so you only go through the shadow of death. But see, it's in that, but in many different ways, we take up our cross and we die daily. Paul said, I die daily. I'm going, well, that doesn't sound good. It's not negative. He's just saying, I'm dying to my worldly way of thinking, I'm dying to my feelings, I'm dying, and, and even if they beat me up and they leave me for dead, even when I'm cast down, but I'm not forsaken. Come on, anyway, uh, or, anyway, cast down, not destroyed, uh, uh, all, all those things. You just read it in 2 Corinthians, okay. But this is how we partner with him, that he delivers us from fear and he becomes you, and he's with you. Do you understand the power of knowing that he's with you? When you step into this city, when you go into the work, when you, go, when you lose your job, he's with you. And he's got something for you. And the lie is, well, that's it. There's nothing more for you. Just have to, you have to crucify that kind of thinking because I know the thoughts I have toward you, says the Lord. They're thoughts, to, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil. They're thoughts, they're plans to prosper you and not harm you. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so this is our invitation. And then we come into this place where now he, is, he brings us into a place of abundance. You prepare a table before me. We live our lives before him and he prepares a banquet table before us in the presence of our enemies because he just likes to irritate them. That's why he's laughing at the enemies because en your enemies are his enemies. Do you understand? And, uh, and he wants to honor you as the guest of honor. And he'll anoint you. This is where you get your anointing. And then he'll bring you into a place of abundance where he's pouring into your cup from a river that never runs dry. And goodness and mercy are gonna persecute you the rest of your life. And I recommend slow down and let them tackle you, you know. But this is like, 
Yay. Okay, so all of this was part of me renewing my mind and saying, God, I believe. I believe in, I believe in this principle of first fruits. I believe that you spoke to me. During this time that I was studying, people gave me books. There was a book um, from the pastor of Gateway Church whose name's slipping my mind at the moment. Say it again. Robert Morris. Yeah, God bless him. He wrote The Blessed Life. And in that, he told this story. And part, part of it, there was a chapter about first fruits. And I said, hey, there's the chapter. Someone else gave me another book. And I'm learning this stuff. And I'm going like, ah. Because whatever we think, you know, we're never the first ones to know something. Because before the heavens and earth were created, God knew all about you. You know, so. But anyway, I got it. And so we, we did this. And so just boiling this down, you actually have little uh, handouts in your, on your Seats, chairs. Let's try and think of a nice word. Okay. Um, and so we've, through the years, we've kind of tried to boil this down. Seven first fruits principles. That's a perfect number. Okay. And the first fruits, number one, and I'm, I'm not going to teach out on each of these, but I, I'll probably expand on some different ones next week. It, the first fruit is something we do before. The, fir, the feast of the first fruits, they would take the first you know, the first gathering from the barley, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And so there are actually two first fruits men's, and one is the Feast of the First Fruits, which is Pentecost. That was the beginning of the wheat harvest. They didn't know how big the harvest would be, but they would come, and it was like a prophetic action. After the harvest, they would give a tenth. That was called the tithe. That was like, thank you, God, you're amazing. And, but before the harvest, they would bring the first fruits. And the amazing thing is the first fruit sanctifies the whole. The first, you know, if the, if the first fruits is holy, the whole harvest is holy. Woo! And, you know, holy means it's just supernatural and God, it, you know, God treats it as his own. The second point is, it's, we're not, it's, this has nothing to do with, you know, uh, ceremonial legalism, we're not coming under the law. This is a pattern. We see what God does in his word. You know, and it's not like we throw the old covenant away, but we, we have a different relationship with it than if we were under the old covenant. We're not under law, we're under grace, but that, those scriptures are written for our instruction, Paul tells us. And so, so we're just seeing a pattern and we're honoring the Lord with the first and best. And guess what? He honors us. It's like, why does he honor us? Not because we're special, because we're partnering with him. And because he partners with you, you are special. But, you know, if everybody's special, no one's special. So just keeping my humility on there. Okay, verse three. Uh, the, the, here's the amazing thing. As we grow in generosity, it actually is an indicator of grace and love at work in our life. And um, I think the scriptures might be listed there, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Um, you guys excel in everything, uh, all kinds of spiritual gifts. And then at the end of the verse, this is New International Version, see that you also excel in this grace. And the NIV adds grace of giving, because it's being clear, he's talking about an offering that he's going to come and take, and, or come and receive from them. And... Uh, and so it's like, God, I want to grow in grace. Why? First of all, have you ever noticed how many uh, letters in the New Testament, Paul and Peter, start out grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And like Peter, you know, 2 Peter starts out, grace and peace be multiplied to you. What The thing is, grace is God's ability to do what we could never do. We can't save ourselves, but when God gives us grace, grace saves us. Jesus came full of grace and truth. So no matter how much grace is in my life or your life, I want to see it multiplied. How about you? So when I read those verses, may grace and peace be multiplied, I don't, they don't say added to, they say multiplied. And I just say, God, multiply the grace in my life in every dimension. I want to give with your ability. Because, you know, if I give with my ability, then I have, to, I have to be worried about my budget and I have to think about all the what ifs and I, have to let, I, I actually have to let the risk of this offering weigh against this possible benefit, you know, and I'm doing this thing like it's an investment. And it's a great investment. But the grace of giving is just like God says do it and you go, okay, 
<laughs> and it's awesome. Anyway, so, are you okay with me? Okay. Generosity is an indicator of grace and love at work. Um, why am I saying that? Well, first of all, he talks about the grace of excelling and the grace of giving, and then in verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, but want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And so he was actually doing something deliberate with the Corinthians. He knew that they thought they were richer and smarter and better than the people in northern Greece who were the Macedonians, or, you know, the letter written to them is the, is the letter to the Philippians. And so he's telling them about the Philippians' amazing uh, grace of giving. And then he's saying, and this will measure your love. Because here's the thing, love casts out fear. See, and what, and the love that we need isn't necessarily my love, it's my awareness of his love. I love because he first loved me. And so if I'm, I'm you know, I love 3 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold the manner, the species of love that the Father has lavished upon us that would, we would be the children of God. And that's what we are. Beloved, now are we the children of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope, this living hope in them, purifies himself. So it's, it's just like, as we're filled with love, this stuff releases us. Okay, almost done. Um, the, and this is a very important one, and I, I want to expand on this uh, probably next week, but the fourth point, I think it says number four, we give according to what we have. And the great thing, giving is scary because, you know, people start talking about giving and we start thinking like, well, you know, I don't have very much. And, I don't have, you know, and, and we get, it, until we get set free from that and we think like, God, this is awesome. Just tell me what to do. The great thing, now, see, if I do it with my mind, I think like, well, you know, I better give more than these other guys and or I should give, and I'm doing this as a human, not as a child of God. And as a child of God, I just say, God, I don't have very much. Tell me what I should give. I'll give it all, or I'll, or I'll just give a little bit. You just tell me, and I'll do it. And so this is why Jesus tells these stories, and it's why the Old Testament tells the story of Elijah and the widow, you know, who was ready to, to die of starvation and isn't this hilarious? God tells Elijah in Israel, hey, there's this widow lady and she's gonna feed you. Don't worry, you know, I know you prophesied a drought and <laughs> oh, there's no water in the brook. And he says, but I've prepared a widow. I've assigned a widow in Zarephath, which was pagan territory. Go there, find her, and she'll feed you for the rest of this drought. And so he goes there and he sees this widow lady. She's picking up sticks and, and, and he says, hey, give me a drink. And she gives him a drink and he says, hey, um, before you give me the drink, give me some food, give me some bread. And she goes, I don't have anything. I just have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and I'm gonna get these sticks and we're gonna make a little tiny miniature tortilla. We're gonna eat it and then with my son and then we're both gonna die. <laughs> and that's, what a response of faith, like hallelujah. And Elijah says, well, Okay, do whatever, you know, you can do what you said, but first, bring me a little, little tiny cake. And when they, when they translated the Hebrew into the Greek in 200 BC, the Jewish translators in Alexandria, they used the Greek word micro. Bring me just a little micro bread. So she goes back, like, okay. You know, I mean, but you know why she did it? There was power in it. Like there was something like, even though I don't feel like it, I to, okay, I'll do this. So now she's taking her little tiny miniature tortilla and she's breaking off a little tiny bit. Okay, fry that up. Okay, I don't know. We wonder what she brought back to him. Like, here it is. <laughs> Can you see it? Yep. Okay, that's it. Now, as soon as she did that, he said, bring me a morsel of bread. She had, I have nothing when he did it, he said, don't fear. That's very important. See, as soon as we break fear off, we're st already stabbing the devil in the heart. You know, when, when she brought that little cake, stabbing the devil in the heart, like, 
Oh no, if she does that, she's not gonna die. Bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself. Like, <laughs> okay. So, so, but anyway, and then he gave her hope. He didn't just tell her to do it. He said, thus says the Lord to God, the jar of flour shall not be spent, which means come to an end, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, which is the same word, have no lack, in Psalm 23, until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of oil was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. Do you understand? It's like we, we do something, and Jehovah, the creator of the universe, just causes things that shouldn't happen to happen. Come on, or I mean, they should have. But see, this is why, don't be discouraged. If you say, man, I have never been more broke in my life, just ask the Lord. Just say, God, how can I participate in this? He will give you the word of the Lord. He'll speak to you, he'll speak to your heart, and then just obey. It might, be a, it might just be a little bit, but you know, your 50 cents that is done in obedience may be more than someone else giving $10,000, $20,000 that they knew, oh, you know, we just planned for this. It's in our budget. We can do this. And like God doesn't measure things the way we measure them. He measures the heart. He measures the response. He measures, he knows the need. Jesus said about the widow, you know, the rest of it put in out of their, their abundance, but she put in all she had. And to this day, she's being celebrated for her radical faith. Is that crazy? Okay, so we just don't wanna, we don't wanna disqualify ourselves because when every offering we give is a seed that we're sowing into the future, God is actually saying, you can partner with me in the kind of future you have and the kind of first fruits that you give, and I, please don't take this as any manipulation. I just can't help saying it strong because I believe it, okay? And I think it's fun and, and I live it. So, but the kind of first fruits that you have prophesies the harvest that's going to come. It releases a supernatural element into the harvest. And so we've looked in all these years, it's just crazy how much, like, wait, wait, wait. Goodness and mercy is following after us. Yeah, we still have trouble. Yeah, we still have a few catastrophes here and there. But when we look back over a year or over a two-year period, we just go like, God, how are you doing this? Like so many people were blessed. I know there was the story last year, the big headlines was that all kinds, like there were 20 house miracles that all went, was that the right number? Brian's a good statistician. 23 or 24, okay, we're getting the right number, of house miracles that all went back to the first fruits offering. Crazy, crazy, crazy in a good way. So I want you to stand up. Just wanna pray that, that our obedience would release God's creative desire to do miracles in and through our lives. God, we just break off fear. We break off fear and we declare there's no lack no lack, lo eshar. <laughs> Say it in Hebrew, you know, or rough, rough equivalent of it. But it, I mean, it doesn't exist in our life. We declare it, no lack. Can we say it together? The Lord is my shepherd. There is no lack. We'll say it in Spanish, nada me faltará. Okay, pretty good. You guys are gonna be good. We're gonna be speaking lots of languages, speaking in tongues pretty soon. He is faithful. He's abundant. He's good. And God, I want to bless you. I just want to bless you. Lift up your hands like you're going to receive. Father, I bless your people with an increase of the grace of giving, with an increase of the hearing of faith. God, that as we pray and seek you, that we'll hear you and we'll know, we'll target our, our offerings in strategic ways, God. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the increase of love, that as love is perfected, that it, that it casts out all fear in Jesus' name. And Father, I just pray, pray for that not only would grace be multiplied, but peace, the shalom of God, would be multiplied over every person, every heart, every home, every family, every body, every business, every vision, every ministry. 
God, that there would be a, a, a contagious overflowing peace and grace that comes out of this place that changes this city, this state, this nation, and the world. God, we declare that all the rulers, whatever conspiracy they have, it's all gonna fall apart, that the wheels will fall off Pharaoh's chariots as you make the sea into a highway, your people will go through and they can't. In Jesus' name, God, that you will be laughing at, you will fill heaven and earth with the glory of your presence, your holiness, and your joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. I've got to let you go, but I did want to say there's healing here for you that if you need healing, and Anne had a prophetic word. Did you want to share it or do you want me to share it? Either way, it's more fun to hear it from her. Okay. I was speaking um, last night with Sherry Hess, and I was uh, telling her that I felt like God was going to heal um, after effects of, of COVID. And she got really excited because she said, Dave Hess had, and, and also side effects from the vaccine. And um, uh, she got really excited. She said that um, Dave, Dave, her husband had, um, he just put it so succinctly, he said he, and he had prayed last week for um, side effects and after effects, and that God was going to heal side effects and after effects. So here in the first service, we had people come with needs concerning um, side effects um, that they've had from vaccine and then um, after effects that they've had from having COVID. So this is all the way from a tiny little loss of smell to neurological crazy inflammation and unexplainable things. And so I said, well, I don't know if I want to share that unless I have some kind of confirmation. And in the first service, Sue Roby came over to me and she said, I just want you to know it's 24, uh, it's 12 years this week since um, my uh, diagnosis of this in this incurable stomach cancer and she is still alive and kicking. So amen to that. And not only the fact that, that Dave Hess got this word uh, because he has been so miraculously healed over at three times over and over again when he shouldn't even be here. And so God has the power to deal with side effects and after effects. It's nothing for him. Amen. Amen. He's our healer. All right. Well, we're going to uh, open the altar. If you want to come forward for that, for healing, for anything, just you can come on down. And the rest of you, may the Lord bless you. May he just cover you and keep you and protect you and guard you. May he be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you. May his presence be upon you. May you know he's hearing his, he's hearing your prayers as he pours out his grace and may his shalom rest on you. May his grace and peace be multiplied in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week.